Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's Great Conversation takes us back into the Australian Classics Book Club. The Aussie Classics Book Club is a monthly exploration of Australian writing, featuring a panel of authors, editors, publishers and critics, and it's a great way to look back and discover classic Australian writing. Now, today in the book club, we feature David Winter. He's a senior editor at Text Publishing, and Sophie Cunningham. She's an author, a founder of the Stella Prize, and a recent Order of the Australia Medal for her contributions to Australian literature. Together, we will be discussing Patrick White's Memoirs of Many in One. I'm Andrew Popel, and every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. We record on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, and I acknowledge the traditional custodians and their ongoing connection to the land, land that was never ceded. Final Draft explores the best of Australia's books, writing and literary culture, and in the Australian Classics Book Club, we look back to learn more about that culture and how it influences our reading. The Great Conversations podcast is a chance to hear more of the discussion and dive deeper into the books that you love. If you know someone who loves the literature, then share the podcast with them. Just by hitting subscribe, you and they will get a great new episode every week, and you'll have someone else to discover your books with. (laughs) Memoirs of Many in One is purported as the collected papers of Alex Xenophon de Mergian Gray, edited by her friend Patrick White. Gray is an ageing actress, living out her years with her daughter Hilda in a stately house in Sydney's eastern suburbs, trying as she confesses to a burly taxi driver, to discover, by writing out, acting out my life, the reasons for my presence on earth. And we are invited to follow her recollections as they collapse the past and present of the many lives that she's lived. Join me in the book club to discover Patrick White's Memoirs of Many in One. My name is Andrew Popel, and calendar watchers will be aware that at the end of the month, we do the Australian Classics Book Club, where we explore a work of Australian writing, uh, and I unpack it with a panel of guests. Uh, A frequent visitor in the book club is David Winter. David is a senior editor at Text Publishing, and he is joining us in the book club today. Welcome, David. Nice to be here, Andrew. Thank you. And we're also joined by Sophie Cunningham. Sophie is the author of five books, most recently City of Trees. She's one of the founders of the Stella Prize and also very recently became a member of the Order of Australia for her significant service to literature as an author, an editor and a role model. I'm counting all of those reasons as fortunate to have her in the book club. Sophie, welcome. Patrick would be so horrified by that fact. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Well, we've you've you've teased our our um our book for today. We are, of course, uh, delving into Patrick White, someone someone who I don't think any Australian Classics Book Club would be uh, would be filled without. We are going to be discussing his last novel, Memoirs of Many in One. But before we get to the book, David, can you give us an introduction to Patrick White? Sure, Andrew. Well, we're talking about someone whose life spanned most of the 20th century, 1912 to 1990, and uh, he certainly he, he towered over Australian letters and, and still does. He's the only Australian to have won the Nobel Prize for Literature. He is the author of many of the most uh, notable novels uh, written in Australia. We're really talking about someone who absolutely dominated Australian literature uh, from for about 30 years, from the late 40s through to the uh, early 80s, uh, in which time he published such novels as The Aunt's Story, The Tree of Man, Voss, uh, The Vivisector, The Eye of the Storm, uh, many of the famous titles that listeners will have either read or certainly have heard of. 
And uh, this one that we'll talk about today is, as you say, his last and really his, uh, in a way, both his difficult, most difficult and, and a kind of easier, shorter, more playful and funny novel. And uh, I, th I think it gives us uh, many sides to Patrick White. And, you know, he's such an important figure in Australian letters then and now. Uh, but he's also someone who is probably quite misunderstood. And if I may crib from Sophie's introduction to this book, she describes him as containing multitudes, drag queen, Nobel laureate, lover, genius, Zen master, grumpy old bastard. And all of those things we may touch upon today, I hope. I hope we do as well. And I think you've, you've probably hinted there at something of the memoirs of many in one. Now, to tell, people, uh, to tell the listeners about the book, I want to go to Patrick White. Patrick White introduces us to Memoirs of Many in One as the collected and edited papers of his friend Alex Xenophon de Mergian Gray. And Gray is an ageing actress living out her years with her daughter Hilda in a stately house in Sydney's eastern suburbs. And she's trying in her memoir as she confesses to a burly taxi driver to discover by writing out, acting out my life. The reason for my presence on earth. No, no smaller feat than that. And as a reader, where to follow her recollections as they collapse the past and present of the many lives that she has lived. Uh, now, off air, I, I mentioned that I had, had some trouble at first um, warming to Alex until she goes on a, a shoplifting spree and suddenly she unfolded for me this this wonderful warm bizarre character and and then i was confounded at every stage what were your uh, what can i ask both of your initial thoughts on meeting alex i was struck actually when patrick the, the character patrick comes on how boring he is i mean the character not the real not the author and all the kind of sort of creative and manic and slightly mad energy in the novel really belongs to her. So it's kind of, I don't know, she's springing all over the place. You don't quite know where where you're going to be taken by her, which I love. It keeps you on your toes. She keeps you on your toes and the novel keeps you on your toes. And she's just so dreadful, so mean to her daughter, Hilda. And so the first thing that struck me about her is just her savagery, uh, She's just constantly uh, uh, denouncing those around her. It's very difficult, I found, to have too much sympathy for Hilda, and I was constantly battling the fact that we are, we are predominantly seeing Hilda through Alex's eyes. We also see her through Patrick's eyes, but I, I didn't mind that she was so awful to Hilda because I didn't see Hilda being particularly redeeming and, and their relationship... Uh, sparks so much because of that you, you, you love them and hate them in equal measure I had sympathy for Hilda but that said as it went on I just she was I just became increasingly irritated mm. by her the kind of the need for Hilda to define herself as a caring daughter and Alex's refusal of that I found really interesting and I found it interesting partly because you know I have older parents and that kind of the their resistance understandable as, as they age to being parented by their children. It's, it's actually quite a, well, it's quite a contemporary issue. It's a, it's a timeless issue. And um, Hilda is patronising and kind of, and, and, and it insists on seeing Alex as a fool, and Alex is not a fool. She might be mean and a bit crazy, but she's not a fool. Mm. 
Can we? Yeah, I think that's. Sorry, Andrew. No, no, please. I just really, I responded really warmly uh, to to that side of the novel because uh, it's such, in that sense, there's the dignity of Alex being able to tell her story, however however much it kind of uh, flits about the place and however kind of mad it becomes as a narrative. It's the dignity of the older person able to to call out, if you like, the, the... the daughter of the, the child for their, their meddlesome uh, and, and rather sort of pious uh, attempt, as Sophie says, to, to parent the parent. And, you know, as someone who also has uh, a, a, an ageing uh, parent who, you know, who, who's in that sort of situation, it can kind of be really, uh, uh, it's it really, I, I was a bit, um, what's the word, I felt probably uh, a bit wrapped over the knuckles in a, in a good way. Yeah, it's a challenge. I mean, she challenges us. Alex challenges us to think about how we treat older people, I think. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I saw this very much as a novel that, that had many layers on, on so many different areas. And even the, even the title, Memoirs of Many in One, suggests to us that there are going to be multitudes. And, and that relationship between Alex and Hilda was one that I, I kept trying to come to grips with. And Apart from the the relationship between the aging parent, the parent that is experiencing what we can see as as a dementia that is impacting her ability to to sort of live in the real world, I also wondered about Alex's origin. So Alex was um, well, Alex is not born in Australia. She's come to Australia with her husband as as a first generation. But then, so so Hilda is born in Australia. And very much comes to be Australian. And at one point, um, I, I noted Alex refers to her the fact that she might be losing her Australian daughter. And I wondered something about that relationship, whether Alex represents a more cosmopolitan and worldly uh, view of life, of modernity, of, of living. And Hilda somehow was meant to represent the banality of Australia and... The fact that we're a little bit conservative, a little bit boring, a little bit fussy. Did did either of you see any of that in that relationship? That's what I actually used the phrase that Hilda was as dumb as Australia, I think, mm. somewhere in my introduction. <laughs> I can't quite remember. And that was partly, I wasn't trying to be overly insulting about <laughs> Australians or Hilda, but that's absolutely what I think Patrick White, the author, is implying, that she is a kind of a stand-in for the the more two-dimensional banal things about about suburban Australia. Mm. And that relationship, I, I actually found a, a quote from Patrick White on Australia where he talks about it's the country of my origins um, and that's what matters in the end. Uh, but he talks about having to experience the outside world and then finishes with, even at its most hateful, Australia is necessary to me. And we can very much see how that is Hilda and, and Alex's relationship they they are part of each other's origins, and as hateful as they become, they are necessary to each other. Yeah, no, mm. I think that's true. I hadn't actually particularly thought... I mean, I'd thought about Hilda as Australia, but I hadn't really been thinking about it in terms of Alex's dependence. I mean, I do think that Patrick, he as a person, was so... Compl- on the one hand, he felt some contempt for Australia... But on the other hand, he, he's very connected to the landscape and the place and the stories about the place and that, he, you know, they fed all his work. So 
I think he was quite conflicted by his affection for a place that was clearly slightly stupid. I I wondered also at the confluence of Patrick White and Alex Gray, which you really opened up for me at first in your introduction, Sophie. And I wanted to ask you, uh, in the introduction, you mentioned uh, a photo shoot that Patrick White did with William Yang, where he played Alex Gray on her deathbed. Uh, I hope that's not giving away too much to the listener. Um, but uh, where you described the, uh, the photo shoot, but then you talked about the, the photos are sort of lost or have been archived. I wondered... First of all, David, you might be able to answer whether the text classics cover actually references that f- photo shoot and, and what you can tell us about that white-grey confluence, uh, Sophie. Uh, well, yeah, I'll jump in on that first point. Uh, yes, absolutely, this is Chong Wenghou's uh, attempt to represent the, the photo that, well, photos that we can't see, mm. the ones that are hidden away. And I have it on pretty good authority that... Uh, White really, really wanted one of those photos to be at least the frontispiece of the original edition of the book, if not uh, the, 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 the dust jacket uh, back in 1986 and was talked out of it. So uh, I think that, and we have to remember too, that the original publication of this book, it was the front cover said edited by Patrick White. So Alex was the author. So I'm assuming that White insisted upon that formulation from his publishers probably not one that they would have been thrilled about for commercial reasons uh, introducing a fictional character as the author explicitly uh, and uh, yeah I think that that photo is it, it would be amazing to see it Sophie can you tell us a little bit about that confluence of, of white and grey well so I one of the things I was struck by, I think I've already mentioned this, is that the Patrick character is quite boring and all the energy is in the, in the, in the female character, Alex, Alex rather than Hilda. And at a certain point I thought, oh, Alex is Patrick. I mean, literally as in Patrick White, the author, has written her. But I felt that that, that kind of... Uh, it's sort of like literary cross-dressing and there's just so much pleasure in that. That, that Patrick doesn't get from writing about the elderly author person. And that is one of the things I really like about the book, that, that, that kind of pleasure that, that he reveals. And he, he was, by this stage, he was out. That is, he had come out as a gay man, not that it was a huge surprise, but to actually state these things publicly was nonetheless, has, you know, only recently been a normal thing for people to do, really. I mean, as, as in an acceptable kind of a, um, thing for people to do. So I think he'd got to the age of his life where he really didn't mind what people felt about those about those issues. And it also has a kind of... An Australian... I don't think of it as a dated novel, but it is camp in a way that has... The idea of camp, I think, has changed um, as, as ways of reading being queer have, have, have sort of cha- have changed. In, and so it does have that kind of... It's got a bit of the Edna Everidge about it and those really larger-than-life kind of, kind of characters and a sort of flamboyance to the kind of feminine representation that, that you just feel like Patrick's having a, having a hoot with the whole thing. And I did contact William Yang, who had taken those photos and I asked him if he 
could show me the photos and he said he would show them to me but I had to get to Sydney to see them so I haven't actually seen them I'm very keen keen mm. to see them I'm very I am sincerely sad that he was talked out of um, having it as a frontispiece. piece but the other thing I'd say and I actually think it's like I quote David Marr on this at some point in, in, in my introduction that Patrick is described as one of the great world's great modernist writers, but I think by this he's certainly postmodern. The, the way calling himself the editor and then mm. having a character based on himself as the author, uh, it, it plays with lots of the idea about who is the author, what is an author. So it, it's, a, it's more self-consciously theoretical. I don't know if Patrick White himself sat down and thought of it in those terms, but it's impossible not to read it without those debates around postmodernism in your head. Well, I found it hard to read. Um, to, so I found it a relatively... I didn't find it an old-fashioned novel. Some of his work on rereading is challenging because it feels uh, very much of another era. This felt quite modern in some ways, the kind of um, intellectual underpinning of it certainly felt quite modern to me. It really boggles the mind once that idea of of grey and white melding together comes into your reading. And considering how heavily I annotated uh, <laughs> before I, I, as I was preparing for this, I somehow have failed to note the page. Uh, but there is, a, there is a section where White, in his one of his editorial intrusions, refers to himself so uh, something along the lines of as if he had written Alex and she had written him uh, but amongst the notes that I've written about all sorts of topics I, I find those reverberations at one point um, Alex is sort of bemoaning the way people look at her her aging body and she says nobody ever believes that inside an old woman there's a young girl waiting and if we if we see Alex inside Patrick that takes on a whole new meaning and even the Patrick White, who is the editor who intrudes in this memoir but is also viewed through Hilda and Alex's eyes, is, is referred to as old Patrick and he's, he shuffles along with a cane and doesn't have any of the verve that we see in the writing. And it, it, it just boggles the mind to, to have them both existing alongside each other as, as the same people. Patrick White wrote about ageing from very early on, that is when he was not really an old man, when you call him more a middle-aged man. I don't know if it was chronic asthma or those other conditions that made him so fixated on the, on the body's limitation, but limitations. He's, and what's interesting about this novel is that by the time he's writing it, he really is an ageing man and he's, he really is actually having quite a lot of... Um, health, he's having real health challenges. And, you know, it's not fun... <laughs> And, um, you know, I, I'm aware of it and I'm only, only 55. And, and I, that's one of the things that he really... And, and you don't... One of the things about ageing is you don't feel older. Your body feels older, but you mm. still have the same kind of reactions that you had to things when you were a child. So I don't think it's just about feeling like there was a young girl inside him. I just think a young person inside yeah. him. I mean, both are true, really. That, yes, he had a very, very strongly identified with his um, his female side and the way that Frank Morehouse has, has talked about doing it in his work, but also just he the, the youth, youth still lived, was very, you know, still in him. Mm. It just, just also the way it's sort of queering ideas of gender there that uh, somehow that Alex 
has these ways of being outwardly flamboyant and we hear hear so much about the costumes that she wears there's a great quote about um, Chanel and how Chanel ages, uh, you know, will age forever if you don't make the mistake of donating it to the Salvos or, or Vinnie's or something <laughs> like that. Alex is allowed to be a, a outwardly flamboyant in a way that the Patrick character, I'm going to keep coming back to this quote of him being old Patrick, isn't able to. He, he has to be inwardly creative with his writing. And there is a, another great scene, I'll come back to the burly taxi driver who confesses to Alex something along the lines of he he's a bit of an artist himself, not that he'd ever tell the blokes. Uh, and then he says, I don't know why, though. There's nothing wrong with it in its own way. That somehow this this performative gender is still very important, except within the interior world of the novel. I think the masculinity that Patrick White was rebelling against was even more entrenched in Australian mm. culture for whites, gener- whites than it would be for a um, young or even middle-aged man today. So I think there's a very particular masculine sense of what it is to be a man that Patrick is rebelling against. That is very much that bloke, the mate, the Aussie bloke, the um, physically, you know, the the, um, rover, the, the, the physical type of man, which is interesting because Patrick is clearly quite attracted to those personalities. I, I don't necessarily mean in his personal life. I don't think Manoli was a, a man who was, was a sort of physically adventurous in that way, not that I really know, but certainly he often writes about explorers or people who deal with the kind of physical ex- extremity. So he's sort of fascinated by both the ways in which the body limits how you engage with the world and, and um, also expands it, I think. And that's through all his works, not just not just in this novel. Mm. Can we come to something that you just touched on there, uh, Sophie, which is some of the Australianness? We talked on that a little bit before, but also reverberating through the novel, I found these reflections on Australia and being Australian. In a way, Alex is able to sit outside of that because she wasn't born in Australia, um, and there's a. There are a few reflections coming from Patrick, but also coming from Alex, about Australia and about Sydney. Um, there's one about the, the incongruous, incongruity of, of Alex just existing, uh, where Patrick says, One wonders how she ended up amongst the asters, the petunias, the flocks, the silver eyes and bulbils of suburbia. Now, apart from the fact that where, where they are in the eastern suburbs is, is probably now a much kind of hipper cosmopolitan area than it might have been considered then. I wouldn't necessarily call it suburbia in the the way uh, Sydney's broad expanse has become suburbia, but there's definitely a sense that that Australia is a little bit banal and Alex is, is quite a, a flash amongst the people. I was going to say that it reminds me again of the Edna Everidge character who Barry Humphreys apparently based on his mother who I think came from Camberwell. There's a certain kind of uh, misogyny slash misanthropy in in White's women. They are a kind of not all his women, but say the Hilda character, the kind of suburban, narrow-minded, mean woman is very is a real trope. Um, and it's not that Patrick White... I think Patrick White thinks everyone can be horrible no matter what their genre, <laughs> what gender, sorry, not genre. But um, I do think he's very 
there's a particular kind of costume or persona that suburban women take on in his work who who I find pretty challenging. I don't I don't really like those women and I didn't like Hilda. Mm. Mm. But then the men get their um the just desserts as well in uh, in the section where Alex goes out uh, on her rural and regional tour of the theatre troupe, and she's yes. got the however many wanes there are, two wanes I think, and they're you know they're going from one you know from one one horse town to another, and uh, I think every man who uh, uh, who she encounters along the way is 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 really sort of satirised mercilessly in these towns too. Um, so, you know, he certainly doesn't just, um, it's certainly not just a, a critique of, uh, of Sydney suburbia, I think. Yeah, there's a real sense that Australia has this way of, of sucking and sapping the vibrancy out of things. There's also a moment on that, that theatrical tour where Alex is sort of lying amongst the, the props, but lying amongst what really can be seen, I think, as the representations of, of the trappings of her history. And... Uh, it says she's attempting to protect them from the glare and mediocrity of the Australian bush, like somehow all of these costumed props are going to become lifeless, bland objects if they're exposed too much to this Australianness. It's just it's it's fascinating to watch because of of course we do see it. You know there is a sense that it's a bit of a rubbishing of Australia and Australianness, but then Alex isn't. A wholly sympathetic character, and I, 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 she's definitely not a reliable narrator. So, she, oh, she's a pain, absolute pain in the ass, <laughs> and she's dangerous. I mean, she's literally shooting at people, and um, yeah, she's really hard work. I think one of the things I've been thinking of is, as you've been talking, Andrew, is that that in a way the novel feels quite relevant to various things that are happening today. I'm thinking of Scott Morrison and his performed blokiness mm. and the way debates have become, on the right and the left, have become more and more reductive. Uh, and and uh, so Al Bow is great because he can be a bloke at the pub like Scott Morrison can be a bloke at the pub. And we seem to be reverting to these kind of representations of, um, of, Australian, of white Australians. In, and I just was really wondering how either Alex or um, Patrick would feel if he were here alive today about what was what was happening. I think Alex would be perfect in that situation because, of course, she would have the exact right word, she would know how to engage, but then, of course, she would fall prey to to being considered outmoded or, or too unique and would be dismissed for it. She would She would be given her hearing and then shuffled off the stage. Yeah, no, I think that's that's true. And one of the great things about ageing, which Patrick obviously felt as a person, he changed a lot as he got older. He became more radical. He became more outspoken. But you, you do care less and less about what society thinks about you. Mm. And Alex very much captures that impulse in, in, in the elderly of, like, not giving an F. I'm not sure if, if there's language, <laughs> language <laughs> alerts on this. But she really doesn't care. And it's Hilda's insistence, or people's insistence, that she should care, is really frustrating to her. I did actually want to talk though about this, like that her being unsympathetic. Yes, she's unsympathetic, but it's also really painful at times seeing her collapse into dementia and how 
vulnerable that makes her. Mm. So she fight, some people are very kind to her and, and uh, we, you know, manage her or just be with her when she's like that. But it's not safe. Mm. And I was really struck. There's a sequence when she is um, incarcerated in her old person's home. And I was reading that around the time of the Royal, um, well, the Royal Commission is still going, but when there was talk about the need for a Royal Commission into elder abuse. And she clearly gets to, the, the response to managing her is just to drug her up to the eyeballs and assume that everything she does is crazy. And as much as I've experienced dementia um, in, in relatives, you don't lose all logic or meaning Mm. in how you think. You certainly become disinhibited and and unpredictable. But I know that when my stepdad had it, I could follow... I understood what connections he was making between his childhood and the present or the way he used to think about things. It's not as if all reason collapses. It's just that the the narrative, the way in which people tell, presents themselves sort of fractures and, and fragments. And I know that on a personal level, I actually found it really interesting the way my father's condition challenged my idea of what narrative is, and what storytelling is. And so I think one of the reasons why I loved this uh, book so much was because Patrick White was doing it, you know, decades decades ago. I thought I'd come up with this really interesting response to dementia that, you know, Patrick White's clearly been thinking, was clearly thinking about it a long, long time ago. Yeah, it's, uh, and, and that's part of what makes it, as you say, a very contemporary novel. Uh, I think one of the sequences that uh, most shocked me in the book is where uh, Alex is taken in by the couple who find her. I forget their names. And uh, she's so um, she's so rude about them in the about this this very ordinary suburban couple, and there's a sort there is a bit of a kind of Barry Humphreys thing about her or Edna Everidge kind of critique, I suppose. But then she ends up crawling into their into their bed, I think. Uh, yes, she lies in, on the floor. Uh, yeah, yeah, she lies she on, on the floor. floor. Yes, and he it's he just, almost steps on her. <laughs> Yeah, it's just kind of you know, in the middle of what I was. I was sort of chuckling away, and then it's just—it's suddenly really quite devastating, you know. And it's just—it's—it's it's not the right thing to do, but but it's sort of you can. You, the book allows you to kind of understand how that's happened, uh, and that I think, from my limited experience of seeing people with dementia, there is something in that. It's that sense that, as Sophie says, it's not the case that everything ceases to make sense. There are just different connections being made in the brain and different expressions of things. And you can join the dots. It's just, but you have to think differently. And the book invites you to do that. Yes, and Hilda was not interested in doing that. In a way, that's probably no. why she's unsympathetic. She had no um, empathy or no interest really in seeing the world differently. And as, as David just said, the, the experience of getting to know Alex is an experience of split, seeing the world differently, which is, is yeah, is a, is a really wonderful, wonderful thing to get to get from a novel. Can we come really quickly then to that juxtaposition between Alex, the memoirist who is, is writing these fabulous tales of her life, and Hilda, who is co- we're constantly reminded is, is the archivist and takes care of the papers, and that at times the two roles almost seem to be conflated, like they're both trying to tell the family story 
but uh, there's there's a moment where Hilda chides Alex and she says, you should let others interpret the past objectively. Yes. And and that's really that's really the key to Hilda is she she wants that objective objectivity. She renounces mysticism, which of course Alex embraces and it's it's telling we we have alex's story because hilda's story uh, from her archives just it wouldn't it wouldn't sell who would who would read it it would be shopping lists and and objective interpretations of dates and names but hilda does have a point um it, 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 as you were talking it just made me think of well, my irritation and other people's irritation, I'm sure, with endless stories about how all revolution and interesting politics happened in the 60s. It's like, mm. yeah, 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 okay. Everything was more interesting and more fabulous. And, you know, it, it can't have been much fun being Hilda. Mm. And she does, she is right that Alex's view of the world is not the only view of the world. And Alex is really resisting having to give away, give way to the next generation. So while I didn't like Hilda, I, did understand that she had to be very kind of tough to really withstand her mother's narcissism. Yeah, and isn't that something of the tragedy <clears throat> of it? Because it does seem like, in a way, this is Alex's last hurrah. She's she's having to fight because she sees herself being dismissed. But in in fighting for her story, she's she's turned it into everything. She she has no touch on objectivity. Yeah, she's she's. I yeah, mean, she's she, entirely solipsistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. One of the great things about about the novel is that it's totally available to, to being read in in many many ways. And I think in towards the end of his life, White's writing was open in that way. It was more porous, possibly than than his earlier work, where he's more determined as an author to control how you respond to the material. Uh, I was thinking about Sophie's earlier comments about the sort of theoretical framework of this novel and uh, reflecting on how I had always assumed before I'd read the novel that it was one of those postmodern tricksy things where, you know, the, the author is not the author, they're the editor of the discovered manuscript and so on. And, you know, there are a lot of great books that do that, uh, but there are not many that perhaps do it with heart, uh, that play the games with something that, uh, I don't know, that resonates more emotionally. And I sort of, so I feel that there's, uh, having, having entered the world of the novel, I feel much more uh, ref- uh, comfortable with, with its sort of theoretical underpinnings and I don't, I don't see the trickiness anymore. It seems all part and parcel of, of what it's trying to do. Yeah, I agree. It's not an anyway, sorry, that's just a random that comment thing. that I've thrown in there. We are discussing Patrick White's Memoirs of Many in One in the Australian Classics Book Club. I am joined by David Winter. He's a senior editor at Text Publishing. And Sophie Cunningham, uh, she is an author. She is a founder of the Stella Prize. She is a member of the Order of Australia for her significant service to literature. David, Sophie, thank you so much for joining me. This has been such an illuminating and wonderful chat. Thank you. Thanks, Andrew. That's it for this great conversation in the Australian Classics Book Club. I want to thank David Winter and Sophie Cunningham for joining me to discuss Patrick White's Memoirs of Many in One. Great Conversations is recorded on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation at two SER's Broadway studios in Sydney, Australia. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. To keep up with the latest in books, writing and literary culture, follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Just look for at Final Draft 2SER and click subscribe in your podcast app and you'll get a great new conversation every week. My name is Andrew Popel and I'll be back next week with more great conversations from Final Draft. Till then, happy reading.